Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Burntwine, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Burntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. Hello, I am obviously not Clint Gage, but you are watching Cinefix. I am joined here today by a familiar face, luckily, Michael Calibro. How's it going, Alex? Director of programming, Belgian tourism official. How you doing today? Good. How are you doing? Good. Seen a good. I'm gonna switch it up because who's gonna stop me? Uh, seen any good movies lately? No. <laughs> <laughs> saw. I saw Bottoms. Really enjoyed it. Bottoms. Yeah. Anyway, what are we doing here today? I'm Alex Stedman. I don't think I introduced myself. Um, we are unfortunately without Clint, but uh, as you know, we have a list of our top 100 movies of all time. However, while I was out sick because COVID finally got me, uh, Clint and Cal did an episode without me where they talked about a movie that was on each of their lists but did not make it onto the top 100. And I got a little jealous. I said, hey, why don't I get one? So while I am floating adrift without Clint's guidance, I am so excited for today's movie. We're talking in Bruges. It's on my list. I don't know why it's not on anyone else's. Yeah, yeah, no, it's not on my list. Why? It's so good. I don't know. I mean, like, we're going to, like, like, full disclosure, we're going to do, me and you are doing a pair of episodes, right? This is your, yeah. this is your Not 100, which is a great, great crime movie, right? And yeah. uh, I, it didn't make my list, but the one we're going to watch on my end is Jackie Brown, which I think is cut from a very, very similar cloth. And, like, we're going to... I mean, we'll get to it a little bit, but like, this is like the like the peak ah like aggro bro like bro movie, and I'm not saying that as a bad thing. I'm just like saying that as like hindsight being 2020. I think that this is part of a genre I didn't really realize existed, but I do think that this is probably one of like the smarter ones in that field. Yeah, it's funny because I, as we kind of go through this list and learn each other's respective tastes. I, in a lot of ways, I see this as very much an Alex movie. I am such a sucker for a movie with a kind of wackier genre premise, this being an action thriller hitman movie, but it has something very profound to say about humanity. I think this has so many great, deep messages about compassion and forgiveness and second chances. And uh, so I'm excited to talk about it today. But I was a little surprised that it wasn't on your list because it feels like a Cal movie. It's a, it's a crime thriller, like... I don't know. Maybe I'll change your mind. Yeah, it, it is a crime though. And I'm like, I guess, you know what? Truth of the matter is, I don't think I've watched this since it came out. Right? Yeah. I remember, like, I remember in this came out when I was in college. And I distinctly remember this being at the, like, indie theater, like, in downtown, like, in the downtown. And, like, we went, you know, we we watched it. We laughed. It's. I remember walking out of it in college and thinking, like, this is great. And then, like, I haven't revisited it since. Yeah. But, like, thoroughly enjoyed rewatching it this time. Okay. Well, and to be clear, I'm a little, uh, I'm, I'm going to reveal where it is on my list at the end. I don't want to spoil the surprise yet. I will uh, tease and say that I'm a little preemptively embarrassed about how low it is on my list. I, I don't think I had revisited it uh, nearly as soon enough, recently enough. And having watched it again a couple nights ago, um, God, I love this movie. But let's talk about what this movie is. So as we've said, it is a hitman action thriller. It is written and directed by Martin McDonough. 
Um, and his feature directorial debut, it is about two hitmen played by uh, Colin Farrell and, and uh, Brendan Gleeson. And they go to Bruges for a job where they learn that their par- one of the hitmen's job is to kill the other one. Uh, and chaos and questions about morality ensue. Uh, talking about who is involved in this movie, as I said, it is Martin McDonough's feature debut. And notice I say feature because he did win an Oscar in 04 for uh, his short, what was it? Six, wow, seven? he's in one of the Academy. He's in one of the Academy Awards of like the short films. Yeah, six shoot. I wish I'd never seen. Uh, but that's like I didn't know that before I started looking into this. Uh, but as as I'm sure you know, he had a prolific playwright career before this. Uh, he, you can, was, he was you, on a tear. Yeah, you could tell that this is a movie of a play of a play. Oh, it feels like a play. Yeah, and that's the thing. I feel like a lot of his movies feel that way. Um, this is my only McDonough movie on the list. Uh, not that I don't like his other movies. Seven Psychopaths I thought was fine. Three Billboards, okay. Uh, I did like Banshees. I think Banshees is his best movie. You think Banshees is his best? Is it? Is it on your list? No. Okay. Uh, but I, it's his best, in my opinion. I, I really, really, for the record, liked Banshees a lot uh, when I saw it last year. Um, I don't know if I liked it so much because it felt like in Bruges. Again, and I just love In Bruges so much. Uh, but I do I do love his dark humor. I love Colin Farrell and uh, Brendan Gleeson together. Um, but back to Martin McDonough. Uh, I did find an interesting tidbit that he was the first British playwright since Shakespeare, which is a really hard sentence to say, a lot of S's, uh, to have four plays running simultaneously in the commercial London theater. Uh, so good company. I mean, seriously... 96, 97, this dude just didn't stop. <laughs> but you're right. And Bruges very much does feel um, like a play. And this is definitely my f- my favorite McDonough joint. Again, not that his other movies aren't great. Um, written by McDonough. And of course, actors as I, Colin Farrell, Brendan Gleeson, and a fantastic Ray Fiennes. Uh, this was- Ray Fiennes always plays a good villain. Always. Always. He's just got that look. I mean, obviously- I mean, yeah. let's be real. Uh, Schindler's List definitely cements him as like yeah he was a terrifying nazi so like that gives him free reign to be a bad guy in literally every movie and totally be by viable yeah you know but what i what i like about this movie and i'm sure we'll get into it more is uh his character harry uh he's really like yes he's he's not a great dude but he's arguably better than colin farrell's character ray he has a code he sticks to it and at the end of the movie, I mean, spoilers, he, he shoots himself when he says he's going to shoot himself. It's a, he's a really interesting character. Um, for the record, they're all not great people, but he, he didn't need to be as interesting as he I is. I don't know. Does Colin Farrell not have a coat? I mean, and I'll talk about this, but in the pre-scene, uh, he literally establishes, he says right away, I'm killing you for money. He, well, yeah, I mean, that's not a, for that, anger, that, not for this and that. I think, I think he wants, I think he wants to have a code. I think he tries very hard, and you see him struggle with that throughout the movie. You see him kind of think, well, if he was coming at you with a the bottle, then that's he was try- he could kill you with that. Also, he could kill you with his hands. But I think he's very, I would say, childlike. He, I mean, he, I mean, it's literally his first hit, right? So he's, yeah, he's, he just got on the train of you know being a hitman, yeah, right. So like, I, de- I definitely agree with you that he's green but like i mean yes he's killing people for money but he i mean there's no debate on him being like significantly affected by the by the killing of that child oh he absolutely right? is like the, like like the he, whole movie is him wrestling with it so yeah to say that like he doesn't 
have a code, I think is improper insofar as even all of the times that he does get violent, whether he's punching the woman at the restaurant or blinding, blinding the guy who's trying to rob him with his own gun of blanks. Like he is always acted upon in a violent manner and he is never the like the perpetrator of the initial attack. Mm -hmm. And I don't know. He's just like, he does a good job of finding himself in like fucked up situations, but he's never the first one to violence in any one of his scenes with the sole exception of the hit. So I like this conversation and this is why I love in Bruges so much. One, I think a lot of that is the Colin Farrell effect. And I'm going to talk a lot about Colin Farrell in this because I, this, I don't think this movie works without him. I can't picture a single other actor who could have carried this role like this. But I mean, the fact is, he, I feel like the movie is kind of going out of its way at times to remind you that he's not that great. He just drops lures at the drop of a hat. He says so many, like, I don't, I wouldn't even say lines that don't hold up. <laughs> they weren't very, like, uh, you know, politically correct at the time. Uh, but I think it works so well and you feel for him because you see, you do see him struggling. He's not, he doesn't not have a conscience. Like, yes, he feels terrible about the boy, about the boy. He almost killed himself. Uh, but he's very flawed. He's extremely flawed. And I think you have, you know, someone like Ken, who is uh, Brendan Gleeson's character, who is so wise. And he, even though, even when he doesn't know what to do, he seems to know what to do. You know, he seems to like, you know, have that code. I, I think, again, I think Ray is just very childlike. I think he wants to have a code and he claims to, but, you know, he's, he does a lot of, says and does a lot of bad things. And I feel like the movie constantly wants to remind you of that. Yeah, but I mean, like, so does Ken. Oh, yeah. You know? Uh, but for the record, they're all hitting Yeah, I, exactly. That, yeah. That's what I'm trying to say. It's like, I guess, what, I, I guess the th thing here is they're flawed not because they're hitmen, but because there's still, still a semblance of humanity left in them. Mm -hmm. And I would say that, I would say that too about Harry. I mean, I think the movie goes out of its way to show you, which I'll talk about, again, talk about more later, but to show you that scene of him apologizing for his, his wife. wife. Yeah. yeah. I'm sorry, sorry for calling you an inanimate object. But like, it didn't have to do that. I mean, all of these people have redeeming qualities, but at the end of the day, they're all killing people for money. Like, that's why I, that's one of the reasons why I love this movie so much. It raises so many questions about morality and what does it mean to be a good person? And does it matter? Does having a code matter? And then you look at it in the context of, you know, the hitman genre. I mean, we're willing to accept a figure like John Wick killing a, I don't know how many people John Wick has killed at this point. Hundreds. Hundreds. Because they killed his wife and his dog, damn it. And we accept that. And he's the good guy. And, you know, at the end, like, at the end of the day, killing people is not a great thing to do, but we accept it because a lot of hitmen have a code. I think this movie flips that on its head a lot of times. I mean, you see it in this very comedic scene where Harry and Ray are arguing about not having a shootout in the hotel at the end of the movie, and Ray's doing this, like, cartoonish, like, I'll jump out the window, and then you can shoot me there, so we don't just, like... And it's like, at the end of the day, you're still having a shootout in the middle. Well, that's one of my favorite like, lines in the movie. He's like, well, why don't you just put your guns away? And she's like, because we're in the middle of a shootout. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I do see your point, and again, it's why I love it so much. The other thing I want to talk about is this was a really interesting period for Colin Farrell. I don't think he was super taken seriously as an actor before in Bruges. I think he was kind of seen as like almost kind of pretty boy, like that kind of leading man. I mean, the best thing that I remember him for before, and I, I, I liked him in phone booth and stuff, but I remember him for like some Britney Spears <laughs> scandal what? before that. Yeah, he like, 
I'm trying to remember exactly what it was. Minority Report. That was great. I mean, he was he was good. He was good at Minority Report too. But I still don't think he was really taken seriously as like a serious dramatic actor. I think In Bruges really changed things for him. Yeah, I do too. I mean, but that's like, you know, that's kind of the the path though, right? Like, because I mean, what's his name? Uh, Pattinson, right? Mm -hmm. Like he, you know, he made he made his money and made his bones during during. twilight uh-huh. and then like lucky for that dude he i know he made a point to meet link link up with the safties right but like i just remember seeing like good time and thinking to myself this is like next level like good for this guy he's talented and i think that that's like a transition that like some of these pretty boy actors have to make and it is difficult for people right like colin farrell was able to do it with this movie um Pattinson was able to do it with uh, Good Time. Take for example, uh, Tom Holland still has yet to stick that landing, right? Like he's trying, he's trying really hard. <laughs> yeah, can't do it. And like, I mean, I guess that's like the that like that's what's gonna separate the like that's what's gonna separate these people. Even like Chalamet could do it, right? You know, he's actually kind of gone the reverse, Ralph, which is like yeah, get that indie like gold yeah. and then go for like the Wonkas and the dunes of the world. Yeah. But like Leo gave him like Leonardo DiCaprio gave him like what is arguably the best acting the advice of like the last like 10 years, which was he, he told, he told Chalamet no hard drugs and no capes. Yeah. 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 That's great. Yeah. I mean, but to be not to go too much of a tangent, but I mean, Timmy is doing Wonka, which is uh, flirting pretty oh. closely to a cape. I would argue. <laughs> I'm I'm pretty confident that's gonna be an L. Yeah, he, he, <laughs> he's gonna have to take the L. Yeah, L. but anyway, before we get too much of a tangent, um, no, I I agree that this is the path that you see, and you see it with actresses as well. But even like you know Daniel Radcliffe, I think has one of the weirdest paths. <laughs> but and I love it. Oh, I love what Daniel Radcliffe has done. Why don't you both put your guns down? Go home. Don't be stupid. This is the shootout. Uh, let's talk about this movie's prestige. Uh, so, unfortunately, it did not uh, get a lot of Oscars. It was only nominated for Best Original Screenplay and lost to Milk. Um, but no, what, what do you? What was that? What was that? I don't know. I'm not watching Milk anytime soon either. Yeah, that's the thing. <laughs> also, interesting year. Uh, I saw Wally was nominated for screenplay that year too. I can't, like. There's not a lot of animated movies that I think get into. Screenplay. Yeah, but that was Wally. Vi- Wally yeah. is incredible. I I wonder if Wally's on the list because I love that movie. I mean, I loved that movie. Was a bold experiment. Yeah, and I respect it. But like, it's not part, a, a a decent part of my top one hundred is like, do I just want to put this movie on to have fun and enjoy it? Yeah, and like Wally is not like I'm bored. Let me throw on Wally. Oh, I'll do that with Wally. Really? And I'll do that. I'll do that with Bruges too. Yeah. Like I mean, I don't do this, it. Yeah. This is definitely a real fun cable TV watch. Like if this well, just like pops thing. up, like yeah. if this just like pops up at any point, you're like, oh great, I'll watch from here on out. And you can pick it up at any point in the movie. It doesn't really matter. Um, no, but I I was sad to see it didn't get a lot of Oscar love. But I will say the Golden Globes, you know, don't always get it right, but they got it right here. They nominated both. I mean, even yeah. the, even the Academy Awards don't really get it right. It's no, very they do weird. not. Either. It's very weird that Mc, like <laughs> McDonough's, you know, Academy is, like awards, like Oscars are for uh, what do you call it? three billboards, well, actually, which is like yeah, that's a good point. And I before getting into the Globes, he I really feel like he was one of those filmmakers who you know I don't want to say got you know 
career Oscars, but it was it, he was one of those filmmakers who wasn't appreciated until after his first movie. And I sometimes yeah, I feel like I three was, billboards was them being like, all right, honestly, like, that was like his what third. Yeah, his third. Yeah, it, yeah. it was in Bruce Seven Psychopaths. Yeah, like, I, I still respect this guy because you know, like he's he's still an auteur. And yeah, like that's that's hard to do today. Yeah, and for the like again, I said it at the top, but he had already won an Oscar by the time he had made in Bruges. Um, but no, I, I just can't believe that neither Brendan or Colin were nominated for Oscars. That blows my mind. Um, but like I was saying, the Globes did get it right. They nominated it for. Uh, best motion picture, musical or comedy, often a wa- wacky category, but I would say this qualifies as a black comedy. I, w- um, I would agree with that. Yeah, yeah. And uh, Brendan and Colin were both nominated, and Colin won. And I, again, I, I don't know how seriously people take the Globes, or maybe they took it a little more seriously then, but I, I feel like that was a big moment for him. And um, and thank goodness he got something for it, because he is so good in that movie. Um, otherwise, it's talking about box office. Uh, it grossed about $34 million on a reported $15 million budget, which is pretty decent. It's fine. I mean, it more than doubled up. Yeah. What more could you ask for? Yeah. Right? So, like, it, what? If if in the box office, it's like the rule of thumb is, like, the theaters take half. Mm-hmm. Right? right? So, this is 2008. DVDs still mattered. So, they broke even before this thing even left theaters. So, like, all of that DVD money was just, like, pure profit. I mean, that is true. Uh, the thing is, you had mentioned you had seen it when it came out in college, right? Yeah. I, ge- as much as I love this movie, I genuinely don't remember it coming out. And to be, f- I mean, to be fair to me, I was fairly young. I feel like this, outside of like Parasite, it's one of the more recent movies we've discussed. And so usually I have the excuse of saying I was very young or not born yet. Uh, so but I don't have this. You're like the baby out of us, right? I'm stuck yeah. in the middle. Clint's definitely the oldest. Yeah. Right? I got I got out of college in 09. So like this was like junior year for me. And it was just like, all right, you know, I've had three years of just like sitting on a couch, just watching DVDs. And like this came out and I'm like, and it was like, yeah, this is cool. This is fun. This is great. But like, I don't know, like, I don't know where 2008 was in your time. Uh, so I was, I'm a little bit younger than you. I was born in 92. Uh, so, so this is high school for this you. This is high school. Yeah. And at that time, I really wasn't into cinema. I was 16. I probably went to go see Avatar a couple times in theaters. Um, but it really wasn't into, and I'm sure I've talked about this on Cinefix before, but it really wasn't until college and then this period kind of in my early 20s where I was like, okay, I think I like film because yeah, I didn't really grow up with any... Uh, cinephile family members or anything like that. So I was not aware of this movie when it came out. Um, and even though I was, you know, in the loop enough to watch the Oscars, again, it didn't get that much Oscar love. Yeah. So I, no, it didn't. No. Um, so it totally fell off my radar. And I didn't even watch it uh, in college, I remember. I, I caught up to it in my early 20s, just after college. And it's it's a great college early 20s movie. <laughs> and like you were saying, I think it is because it is that kind of bro movie that kind of bro core movie uh no but that's when i caught up to it um i don't think it really got i could be wrong and maybe you remember it better i don't really i don't think it got that much into the zeitgeist at the time i feel like it's one of those movies that's more appreciated now i definitely think so i mean like i also just think that like internet culture wasn't as as big of a thing yet right like 2008 that's like right around when reddit was invented 
right? So that whole internet 2.0 kind of stuff was just kind of getting off the ground. People were using Twitter on their on their on their uh, flip phones. Uh, might as well have been bricks. Yeah, right. Yeah. Like, it would it would have been harder for like cultural osmosis to have taken this movie and it's like quips and like push them out to the masses like it would be today. Yeah, I mean that's true, and I think that's one of the good things that have come out of social media is that when there's something like an in Bruges, I mean I think you saw this effect with uh, everything ever all at once last year when when you see a movie that maybe isn't you know doesn't have capes or isn't a sequel or a reboot. It's a lot easier to scream about how much you love it now and how much people yeah. should go see it now than it was even even in 08, which isn't that long ago. Um, but and then also I, think I don't you, know, man, yeah. that seems like a lifetime. It does seem like a, <laughs> I mean, me being in high school. Um, as far as like critical reception, it was mostly pretty praised. I found some reviews that weren't huge fans of some of the racier lines, although I would argue that's kind of part of, you know, it can, those kind of need to be there. Um, but overall, it was pretty critically acclaimed. Um, now that we've discussed the pedigree, all that stuff, want to talk some scenes? Yeah, let's do it. All right. I'll start. All right. And I'll start at the start. That introduction in that first five minutes where you still don't know what's going on. They're in Bruges. And the reason why- So after the, after the, after the hit on the priest. So I believe it starts with them describing the hit on the priest. Is that- right mm -hmm. uh it starts with them describing the hit on the priest and then you see it later but first uh you see them in bruges and yep, 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 i'm yep, gonna yep. kick myself every single time i say in bruges uh but i love this scene because it establishes this kind of i see it as like a, a father son dynamic between ray and ken you have ken who i who genuinely loves Bruges. And by the way, this movie really wants makes me want to go to Bruges. Like, I don't know. See, I'm the exact opposite. This movie that like Your team Ray in this respect? Absolutely. Yeah. And like what I like about this movie is that like it very clearly stemmed from the pa like from the fact that like Martin McDonald went to Bruges and felt both sides of this coin and that's like what spawned this entire screenplay is just like this is a very beautiful city. I'm extremely bored. Yeah. <laughs> I get it. And it depends on your taste. No, if you like, if you, if you want to feel like you're in a fairy tale and look at the pretty buildings, which Ken does. And I, I'm with, Ken, I'm with Ken and Harry. I want to be in a fairy tale. I want to look at the nice buildings and canals. Um, but I, I do really love this. Uh, and oh, and then also I think it's in the beginning where uh, you have, you immediately get some of the religious imagery. Uh, you have Ray refusing to touch Jesus's blood and Ken's like it's Jesus blood um but I think immediately you just get this dynamic it just reminds me of like when I was on vacations with my family I I have a specific memory of my dad being like Alex for the love of God look at the mountains and I would look for half a second and then go back to playing Pokemon and it's just like Ray is the five-year-old Alex in this yeah. situation <laughs> like he doesn't he's pouting and you later it later contextualizes that I I think he's really struggling with the guilt over killing that kid. And that's, I think, I think maybe he can't enjoy anything. Um, even when he gets a date, you know, with this girl, he, you know, he does enjoy it, but, um, no, I, I think he's just refusing to enjoy anything because of this horrible thing that he's done. And yeah. He and I mean, he's also like looking at these like dour Catholic paintings of like the inquisition and oh, stuff yeah, like that. He also that. probably just, doesn't yeah, like yeah, it yeah. anyway. Yeah. Um, no, but I love this scene and I will say it, Again, as someone who maybe Bruges is more my taste than yours. Again, I, I do like that we have a good <laughs> Ken Ray thing going on now. Um, but I, I think there's some really beautiful shots here. Um, juxtaposed with this, again, kind of religious imagery, kind of making it a little more ominous. Um, but 
that is one I wanted to highlight. Do you have one that you like a lot? Yeah, I, honestly, so like, what I really like about this movie, and I didn't really notice it like the first time around, but I definitely picked it up this time, and especially like going through, is just like how tight the screenplay is. So so tight. So for a movie to be good, everything about it doesn't need to be good. Right. And what I mean by that is this is an extremely tight screenplay that is very well, like very well written, you know, like I'm sure whenever they were like reading for the role and stuff like that, like these characters just jump off the page because according to Jamie, that these um, like all of all of the quibble, like quib quips and stuff like that, like that back and forth. This is like like the Coen brothers. It's very much embedded in the screenplay. You know, it's not like they're finding the character and improving their way through a lot of this stuff. And what's kind of like fascinating about this movie is how he's coming from the theater and you could tell he's coming from the theater because this movie is all about the dialogue and the, and the inner uh, and the performances and the interactions. But one thing that this movie doesn't do, and it's not so much a jab, but like the camera not never draws attention to itself. The camera is merely just a, a it's an invisible hand to capture the performances but there's never a moment when you're like look at the camera doing this like really really interesting thing it's like shot very it's shot very conventionally you know like close-ups medium shots sometimes a pan here and there but it's never like they're not trying to do anything sophisticated like long wonders or like you know weird camera angles like you know we we're talking about like beautiful European cities and like one of the last episodes, we're just talking about the the third man and all, and we went on and on about how like the camera is just like set up in this way to capture the city in the, in this like most beautiful black and white photography and like the rubble. And again, Bruges is definitely a character in this, but the camera work isn't drawing attention to itself. And I don't necessarily think that's a bad thing. As a matter of fact, I actually think it's quite an accomplishment for a first-time director, right? Because he's so good at the things that he's good at. You don't even really notice that the thing that he's... I'm not going to say he's not paying attention to, but let's just say, like, it takes a village, and it feels like he very much trusted his DP to, like, get it in the cans. I totally agree. It's not something that you necessarily notice. And I think, again, that's part of the play sensibility of it, right? Like, this is so... It's not that the cinematography isn't great. It is. It's that this movie is so writing and acting heavy. Yeah. And again, I think that's another thing that kind of makes it an Alex movie. I, I tend to gravitate towards scripts and actors a lot. Yep. Um, and that's another reason why I like it so much. Shortly thereafter, the instructions came through. Get the fuck out of London, you dumb fucks. Get to Bruges. Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it, or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Bartha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz. And how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. 
So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts. The more I watch this movie, there's like scenes I'm like, well, how necessary is this scene? And then you realize that like, it does a really good job of doing the like Robert McKee like guidelines for story. Mm. Perfect example, right? Like one of the scenes that I really picked up on this time that I didn't really think much about, right? When he's going to the clock tower for the first time. So when you watch that scene for the first time, you see him like look back before he go like, and it makes you think that he's just like watching like Colin Farrell walk away. He doesn't know this as the character yet, but he's looking back on where he's going to die. Cause uh-huh. he's going to fall from there. And then he goes, he goes to the, um, the counter and he's, he has $4, like four ninety euro, but he needs $5 and he's counting that change and they won't take. And then the guy is arguing with them. It's like five euro. And he's like, fine, slaps down like the 50, puts the change back into his pocket, right? And then like walks up. But that's the change that he sprinkles down. And like, it's a, it's like the textbook thing, right? He needs to have the change in his pocket. So like, that's how he gets the change in his pocket. But the, st- the scene still needs conflict. And like the conflict is just him arguing with the, with the, the cashier. And like, that's, that's it in the nutshell, you know? It's, I need him, I need to visually motivate why he'll have change in his pocket later on but this stick this scene still needs some kind of conflict to drive even just a small moment forward so that's why he's arguing with the guy same thing happens like later with like with the scene with the boyfriend with the gun you know he's just like it's the blanks but he walks out of that with the bullets and stuff like that and the whole gun so now he has his whole gun for when he's trying to kill himself and Mm-hmm. the back and forth of that mm-hmm. and another thing too about the change because you're right the, another thing i really like is throughout the movie you have these little discussions about morality and they might not be huge discussions it may like it may not be murder every time but you kind of look at that interaction and obviously the cashier is being a jerk like come on man just like let the ten cents as go a, as a cashier a, who is yeah. often let people go i would say if you're within 50 cents yeah yeah, yeah. it's fine but at the end of the day if he you know had taken the change, then he wouldn't have had the change for that really lovely moment at the end to drop it down. Well, uh, he so didn't want to kill somebody. Yeah, true. That's what the change was for. So he dropped it so people are like, oh, shit, exactly. that'll let me stand well, no, but yeah. it, 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 like, If that didn't happen, then he wouldn't have the change and possibly didn't, wouldn't able to drop that as a little heads up. Like, I don't want to kill you. I just want to kill myself. <laughs> yeah. Um, no, and the other thing that I like about that opening, too, is I almost forgot to mention this, is first of all, there's this really funny moment where... Um, you have that family of Americans who are a little larger and uh, Ray is like, you're not going up there. And I think he basically calls them elephants and they get really mad at him. Uh, and then they go up to go to the tower and Ken's like, oh, there's a lot of steps. And they get mad at him because they're already pissed off about Ray. And then you learn later that it actually did cause a problem. That <laughs> like had a heart attack or something on the steps. Yesterday, an American had a heart attack on the tower. Today, the tower is closed. Yeah, cranky. Here's 100 for you. We're only going to be 20 minutes. And like you were saying, nothing is wasted in this movie. I genuinely, watching again, I, I can't think of 10 seconds that I re- remove. And I think that's one of the reasons, again, why I love it so much. Everything is intentional. Everything means something. Even moments that linger, like Ken's death scene, where he does kind of take a moment to look out at the view that he loves so much. That didn't have to linger as long as it did, but I'm glad it did. Like, everything is so intentional and you get that right away everything means something later on and that is why i I think it's such a good opening i agree yeah uh can i move on to i i think right after that is the priest death scene yeah um so it's 
like you said earlier, Ray's first job, he's green. And again, like I said, uh, I really like that he kind of establishes right away, like, I'm doing this for money. Like, uh, it's uh, not for emotion, not for anger. I'm just killing you because we l- learned that the priest is not a good guy anyway. Um, so he kills the priest and, by the way, oh, shoots him way more than he needs to. Like, the guy was dead. Yeah, I mean, that those are the moments I choose not to dwell on too much because that's just the suspension of disbelief kind of stuff. But I think, no, I think it's important because I think it kind of shows his hubris in his first job. And I think he feels kind of cool as a hitman. He's killing this terrible priest. And he's, and, and, but it is, that's why he kills the kid. Like, it's important. Like, I, I think if he just shot him in the head, called it a day, he probably wouldn't have killed that kid. Yeah. Um, but he does, unfortunately. But I mean, uh, yeah, yeah, to your point, right? Like, if that kid doesn't die, do we even have a movie? We don't. We don't. Yeah. I mean, they, they just, I mean, maybe we have another movie where they're just hitmen and we have a whole series about it. Um, but no, so he kills the kid and it's this such a sad moment because he goes and picks up the note to see why the boy was repenting. Yeah. That, oh, there's it, a, there's a lot there, right? Like, it's just they, twist they, the they, knife. That's they terrible. just really, they just really make that super melodramatic, right? A, the kid gets shot in the head and yet he manages to get shot in the head with not enough of a kick to knock him over in that instant. He has to melodramatically fall over when when the camera gets to the right spot. Uh Uh-huh. You know, like it's like, let's cut to the ultra-wide shot so he's in the foreground. Now the kid could fall. I'm surprised that's why you're saying it's melodramatic because I think it's, uh, you know, they really, again, twist the knife for showing you why he's repenting. He's repenting because... He for being moody, for being bad at maths, and being sad. Yeah, but I mean, it's melodramatic that it like it waited for the because oh, like because yeah. you like see him and you could see the like the like bullet bullet hole, and then it's just like and then it's just kind of like the slump over and falls. Well, it is visceral. Like yeah. it is. It, this movie is not not violent. I wouldn't say it's gratuitous by any means, but they really. I, I one thing that that I like about it is that it is so grounded. Like it, it wants you to feel it. It wants you to see what Ray saw and understand why he wants to kill himself later. It is like, imagine that. Imagine, you know, you, you're on a you're hitman and you feel kind of justified because this priest is a bad guy. And then you shoot a freaking kid. Like, I, I don't know. I, it, I mean, let's be real. He said it even later. He did it for money. Yeah. Well, that's the thing. And that's why I think Ray is such a good, interesting character. Like he doesn't, I think he doesn't, hold himself to the kind of standard that Harry does. Um, I think he knows he's like this hot young shot and he's got this hitman career now. Um, And another thing that's interesting about this is you learn how I feel like, well, they might've known each other before they became hitman, but hitmen, but I really got the impression based on their dynamic that they have been doing this for a long time, well, I remember. Well, it's specifically Ray's first, right? Ray's, so, yeah, but Ken's been doing it oh, for yeah, a while. Yeah, but that, that, you, get the, you get the sense that they've been a team for a while, but they haven't been. Like, that was their only job, and then this is their second job. Um, but they have such a good dynamic together. Um, but I also just love, I love the visuals of this scene. I love the dramatic red. I love how it just feels so much different than the rest of the movie, because so much else in the movie does, I mean, it's in Bruges. So, so much else feels like a fairy tale, but this just feels like terrible and wrong because it is like he accidentally killed a kid. Yeah. Yeah. We don't have this movie without that scene. Yeah. I mean, this whole, this whole scene is like a, um, not a reflection, but like, you know, a meditation on that. Yeah. Um, but do you have any other scenes you want to talk about? Let's see. What other ones do I really like? I, um, I have a few, but 
I also just I also just like the scene where like he's on the date and like that was my next one. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but they're on this date, and again, little moral debates throughout. Um, they start talking about Belgium, and he has this line. Uh, Ray does where. What's Belgium famous for? Chocolates and child abuse. And they only invented, invented the chocolates to get, to get to the, the kids. Children. Yeah. And it's like, oh my God, man. Yeah. <laughs> no shame. What's Belgium famous for? Chocolates and child abuse. And they only invented the chocolates to get to the kids. I also just like, I also just like that, like the boyfriend is just like the butt of like a couple of jokes, right? Cause like, not only is that like, not, not only is the back and forth of that scene really good. And that's like another scene where you talk about like the, like the blocking of it and like the camera work, right? It's just like close ups and medium shots and stuff like that. Just like very much like, let's just shoot this. So like you understand the spatial, like the spatial arrangement of the characters, but like they shoot it in wides and close ups. So you get the best angle for the performance. Not so much like, artistic compositions or anything like that and and then you know he shoots them in the eye with the blank and then even later when ray finds is like going to buy the gun and he shows up and he's just like i don't know it sounds like you, you it sounds like you screwed up here oh i love that yeah. See, I <laughs> like the, the fact that it gets like the second payoff yeah right he's just like no yeah and by the way and i love that he's not even the boyfriend anymore like she makes him kind of like x um but even before that what one thing that i really like a good joke that it kind of comes back to is you have the couple who are sitting next to them at the restaurant they're sitting next to them and they're this this guy is just furious that chloe is smoking despite the fact that they're in the smoking section so again it's kind of t like testing your like well are they okay to smoke they're in the smoking section they're doing what they're supposed to do um but then uh ray starts arguing with them and he immediately doesn't like them because he assumes they're American. We learn later that they're not. They're actually Canadian, which is, yeah. I think, a great little punchline. Yeah. Um, but, like, again, and then I think he also, like, he punches them and says, that's for John Lennon. <laughs> and then, uh, again, so you're, you have this guy who is essentially blaming these random Canadians for Vietnam and John Lennon. Uh, he essentially uses that and the fact that the woman was coming at him with a bottle, I think. Uh, to punch her in the face and then they are they're out of the restaurant and chloe's like you hit a woman and he was like well i would never hit a woman usually it's like she was coming at me with a bottle and it's like again it's constantly testing you to be like is this right is this okay oh another thing about that scene is when they're talking he's made that terrible belgium joke and she says one of my friends was you know murdered and and, and he immediately feels bad. It's like, why is it bad now? Just because she knows someone. Like at the same time, like children were still being like, abused before that. It's such like, I love these little kind of pickups like in the script. It, it, it never stops. It's constantly throwing those at you. Yeah, that's what makes it so, that's what makes it so memorable, right? Is like mm -hmm. the tonal juxtapositions. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And like how they use dialogue to create those. It's great. And it kind of like elicits like almost these kind of shock laughs from you when he makes that kind of Belgian joke. Um, but yeah, after that, when they're, you know, potentially getting it on and then don't, um, it really feels like Ray could not have anything nice. It feels like the universe will not let him have anything nice. And it, it feels apt. Like it feels like I I'm sure he feels like he's being punished. Yeah. Um, but then a little joke about him. Also, like, I've never thought about what it's like to shoot someone almost point blank with a blank. But yeah, that would take your eye out. Yes. That's pretty painful. I can't see out of this cycle. I have to go to the hospital. I'll drive you. 
Do you have any any others? Two more. Okay. One is A, when they're in the park and he's trying to kill himself and then they don't, like, Great then, he rea- then he realizes, like, just like the, like, you can't kill yourself, but he's like, you were trying to kill me. He's like, but that's different. Yeah. You know? And then, Again, moral struggles. Yeah. Like, why is it okay? And I think this movie has something really interesting to say about, again, about suicide. Um, and it's like, okay, well, would it have been okay to kill your friend because he killed a kid? Or would have been would it have been terrible to let him kill himself? Like, why is why is that better than the other? And I, I feel like you see Ken struggle with that. But the other reason I really like this scene is because you see them kind of reckon with it in this very open conversation. Um, I Their dynamic is just so... I don't want to say simple, but they just, they just talk like yeah. as much as they can. But it's simple in that it, it, it's simple in a, like a deep, in a deeper way. Right. Cause like the beauty, like the nice part about it is, is that like, Ken, I think like Ken regrets, you know, his choices and he sees an opportunity for, for, um, Ray to get out mm-hmm. and killing himself would not have allowed him to get out. And like, even later when he's just like, you need to get out of here. Like, He's projecting on him, like you need to do some kind of good, mm-hmm. and that, like, that's 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 Ken projecting on Ray, right? Because like he he thinks by doing that he can absolve himself because he managed to save one person in like a career of, you know, just icing people, you yeah. know. And I think that's like really fun, which is like why suicide is just so like ta- so taboo to him in that moment. Yeah. I th- and I think he kind of literally says that. I-, I wrote down their exchange where Ray's like, I killed a little boy. And then Ken says, then save the next little boy. Just go away somewhere. Get out of this business. Do something good. And he's like, when am I going to be a doctor? And you kind of, but like, we've talked about Ray a lot, but I don't want to undersell Ken because I think Ken is this, it-, it kind of quietly builds him up as this very, very deep character. I mean, we learn, bef- I think before this, that his wife was killed. Um, and it seems to be some kind of racial driven attack. Um, and Harry got the guy who killed her and you kind of, you know, that's why part of why Ken is in his debt and Ken has his own way of justifying his murders. And again, going back to the beginning where they're talking about, oh, everyone I killed was bad, except for that one guy who was trying to protect his brother. And then Ray goes, well, like he was trying to, he was coming at you with a bottle. He could kill you with a bottle. And he was like, well, what if he didn't have a bottle? Will he kill you with his hands? Like right. you really get the idea. The that, lollipop man? The lollipop. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but you really get the idea that Ken, despite being a hitman, despite killing as many people as we, you know, can only guess that he has, he really, really wants to be a good person. I would argue that Ken out of the three of them is probably the best, the, the most morally justifiable person in the movie. Um, I, I mean, don't know. Hey, once once the end rolls are out, Harry doesn't blink. That's what I'm saying. Like that's why I like Harry so much. Like, <laughs> like the dude has a code. Yeah, <laughs> um, man lived by his code. He did. Like, and uh, like not to get too much into that because that scene is on my list. But like, you kind of also have to wonder: like, is it more important to stick to your code, or is it more important to not leave your wife and kids without a father? Like, all of this kind of makes you wonder: like, does it even matter? Uh, but again, to get back to that scene of the park, park, it is just, I, I love their dynamic together and I loved to see it again and Banshees of it in this year. And I love like just Brendan and Colin are so good together. Um, even before that though, there's a scene just before that where Ken learns what the job is 
So I'm trying to think, it's not, I think it's before the halfway point that we learned that he's there to kill Ray, or maybe just about. Yeah. Right? Because it's right after the restaurant scene. Yes. Because Harry is still in the hotel. Yeah, and then he has to make up the, like, hey, go to the bar and have a party. And that's so funny. And again, that's like a scene that maybe is longer than it needs to be. (laughs) It's so funny. (laughs) Um, But another thing that I really like in that scene where Harry is dropping the news on him that, you know, he has to kill Ray. First of all, that's where you learn that Harry does have a code because before then it kind of just teases that Harry's a jerk. Yeah. Um, but in that scene, he's like, well, and, and sorry for like... To yeah. quote the movie, he's kind of a cunt. That's what it was. Yeah, yeah, And by the way, sorry for the editor who bleeps these, but there is it is so hard to talk about this movie without swearing because there's well, a lot in this movie. It has a different connotation in Britain than it does in America. It does, it does. Um, nobody goes... Uh, I think he's on the, he's like, well, he killed a fucking kid. And then he has that whole like rant about, well, it's, it's a fucking fairy tale. Why wouldn't he like Bruges? And you, and you learn that he like, actually, it's kind of wholesome when you think about it, that he sent him to Bruges to have one last nice thing. One Um, last hurrah in Bruges. And he hates it. And it's great. Um, But one thing I really like about that too is, is Ken, you know, realizes that he's kind of pissed Harry off by saying that Ray doesn't like it, even though, you know, Ken likes it. And I think the line is, I know I'm a, he, that he says Ray said to him was, I know I'm awake, but it feels like I'm in a dream. I know I'm awake, but I feel like I'm in a dream. Yeah, he said that. That just feels like Ken. Like, Ken was like, okay, well, how do I feel about Bruges? Because I really like it. Um, but again, I really like that reveal that, yes, the twist is that he has to kill his friend, but also that Harry has, like, <laughs> he's not just indiscriminately terrible. Like, he sent him there for a nice little treat, uh, a treat that Ray did not like. And he, oh, by the way, like, even the date, that was, like, the one nice thing that he got again. And that sucked. Like, <laughs> it just got him into more trouble. Uh, so I love that scene. And again, one of those scenes that feels like a play. It's just a guy on a phone. Yeah. Um, but no, the scene, that scene and then where he goes to kill himself and stop. Um, Try to think if I have any scenes that are right after that. Oh, yeah. Actually, I do want to talk about, you know, one of the scenes after that. So uh, Ken then decides, you know, go live your life, do whatever you want. Yeah, yeah. And he, he lets Ray go. Um, and I, I actually, for some reason, remember seeing this scene, like, initially. And I remember being like, well, he's going to lie to Harry, right? He's not going to, he's not going to come clean. No, he call Ken calls Harry and he's just like, I let him go. Like, I, I do what you got to do. And you have this great scene that I alluded to earlier where... Uh, first of all, Ray Fine reveal. Um, and he's in this very unassuming house and he's screaming on the phone and he slams it down. And then, of course, you have his wife come in and say, it's a fucking inanimate object. <laughs> says, You're an inanimate object. Um, but it so humanizes him because then you see him go and talk to his children. And again, that's why I come kind of come back to the end and say, Yes, he stuck to his principles. He's a good person. Not a good person, but he stuck to it. He he put his money where his mouth is. But then you see what he's leaving behind. You see the children and you see his wife who seems perfectly normal. Like he has this very normal life and yeah, he seems to want to be a good guy. I don't know. I mean, like, I think that's like all well and good, but I don't think that that's like particularly like unique to this particular, no. like unique to this movie. Like, I think one of the best instances in that is in Casino. I don't know. Like, I don't know if you're a big Casino fan, but like they're is in multiple scenes where he's like where Joe Pesci is like making pancakes for his kid. There's all of those like great scenes where like him and the cops are coaching little league together. 
And it's very much like a dad who unquestionably loves his son, who is also like the Las Vegas crime boss and like a, the most ruthless hitman, you know, will stab a guy with his own pin at a bar for uh-huh. just saying the wrong thing. And like they juxtapose those things. And I just I think it's that kind of stuff that like I really gravitate toward in crime movies. Yeah. It's it's you know, the fact that at the end of the day, this is a job for these people. They go yeah. home and they have and they have a wife who has made them dinner and they kiss their kids goodnight. Yeah. Like and they, they love their kids. They love their kids. Yeah. At the end of the day, like they may be the worst person on the planet, but they, they, they may be a good dad. Yeah. You know? Um and I I really feel like they didn't need to include this scene. Uh they could have not, but I love that they did. And I it makes Ray such I mean, Ray is the villain, ultimately. He's the antagonist. He is the opposing force yeah, to our protagonist, but you just, he, he's like, oh, like, and of course he has that moment where he apologizes for calling her an inanimate object, which I, th- I just think is so cute and funny. It's like, no, he, he wants to be a good dude. He may, he may be responsible for many deaths of bad people, to be fair. Uh, but he feels really bad for calling his wife an inanimate object, which isn't even that hard of an insult. <laughs> I'm sorry for calling you an inanimate object. I was upset. I love that is some of the humor. Um, but I also, I, I want to double back a little bit. Um, so there's that, uh, before all this happens, there's also a scene where they're kind of having this weird cocaine party. And for all that we've talked about, we have not talked about Jimmy, uh, the who's played by Jordan Prentice, who's very good in this, uh, as this... The dwarf. The dwarf. A very problematic dwarf. <laughs> like, and he just says, like... So they're 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 having you know uh, it's after Ken finds out that he has to kill Ray, but before Ray knows and before Ray go- and basically it's like Ray's last hurrah. He probably knows he's going to kill himself the next day, um, and they're having this weird, bizarre cocaine party, and uh, Jimmy goes on this racist rant about how there's going to be a race war, and like he's, but what I like about this scene is like everything else in this movie, it comes back at the end. So later when Ray meets up with Chloe again and is having this little date with her, they see him again and he looks so sullen and so ashamed. And he's like, it was the cocaine, man. And it's like, suddenly you feel kind of bad for him. Like, he's so embarrassed. Uh, I think Jimmy is low-key a, a pretty important character in this. Yeah. Oh, well, I mean... The fact that they made more or less a MacGuffin, a MacGuffin a character, because yeah. his sole purpose in this movie is to die in a in a in a schoolboy costume. That is it. It's the entire reason he is in the movie, mm-hmm. right? Well, I think also to give um, Ray some fodder to be a not nice guy either, because Ray just Ray's like, "Did you yeah. know dwarves kill themselves all the time? Yeah. Are you gonna kill yourself?" But like- that's like, but I mean that. But that's like to fill space, right? I like, think I think it's like I, again. I like I said earlier. I think this movie does try to go of its out of its way to like remind you that Ray is maybe not the best. No, guy totally. Yet. But I, I guess like what I'm trying to say is I think that's just like a long, longer winded example of like what I was describing earlier, where it's like he where where Ken goes to get the change because he needs to have the change in this pocket. This movie needs to have a dead dwarf in a in a child in a in a schoolboy costume in order for the ending to work. Mm-hmm. And that's it, right? Like it's very mechanical that way. And all of all of the stuff that happens in between, it like is just like you know, uh, conflict for the sake of conflict to move the story along. 
And I don't think that that's a bad thing because, like, to your point, right, they're very entertaining scenes. And it is honestly a, a testament to Jordan, like, Prentice's, like, uh, uh, performance that he, that, like, Jimmy feels like a very lived in character. And, you know, and, like, that's, like, really well and good. But at the end of the day, all, all he is there for is to die. Well, no, and, and you're not wrong. Like, he's there, he's there for that big moment where, yes, he is dead in the children's costume. But I like that the script is thoughtful enough to, yes, make him a well-rounded. And they do the same thing, by the way, with Chloe. And there's this really great moment. I think it's back at the restaurant scene where um, where Ray is complimenting her. And he says, I don't. I just didn't think uh, anyone nice would go out with me. And you just see it dawn on her. That, like, that is the sweetest compliment that anyone's like. She knows she's gorgeous. She knows that she has so many other things. But you get the impression in that moment that no one's ever just called her nice and like thought maybe that she was a good person. Yeah. Um, and that's again what I really well, appreciate. Well, she is yeah. robbing tourists. Yeah. I mean, no, she's like th- that's the thing. Like, she is not a great person either. She has this whole scheme with her ex, um, but it humanizes her too. Like everyone, no one is just you know some kind of two dimensional. Like everyone has a story, and and it's, it is a small cast, but I really like that it goes out of its way. Ah. You rob. Tourists sometimes. I fucking knew it was too good to be true. I knew you'd never shag me normally. No, that's not true. I. I want to talk about Ken's death because I think maybe this is my favorite scene in the movie. Um, first of all, you have this confrontation with Harry, who is expecting a shootout at the top of the tower, and Ken just puts down his gun and he says. I'm not going to fight you. Like you've done, like, I know you've got to do what you got to do. And I like, I like, I have, I'm not going to fight you. Yeah. And it's this great moment because Harry is so shook because you think like, well, Harry's kind of like, well, now am I shooting an unarmed man? Um, but you really believe Ken in this moment. And what I like about Ken as a character is he knows exactly who he is. Like he knows exactly what he's done. And it, he feels very confident. He's like, no, I, I, he, I, he wants to die. And he knows there's a price to be paid. Because, yeah. I mean, to his point, right? It's just like, yeah, I mean, somebody's got to die for, like, there's just someone, like, there. there's a price that has to be paid. Someone has to, die, like, someone's going to have to die. It's either him or me. It's going to be me. So he's just like, he accepts it. And, like, the best thing that he could do is make it so Harry can't feel justified in his action. Oh, it's it's, it's yeah. secretly really shitty. Yeah. <laughs> secretly terrible because yeah. <laughs> harry want you i don't know if harry wants a shootout but harry always wants to feel like harry, he's doing the right thing well it's not so much the right thing but he wants to feel like he had to do it in self-defense as opposed to just shooting a defenseless man mm-hmm. yeah but now he's literally shooting a man who's yeah. put his gun to the side this isn't even a contract right it's not yeah. like it's not even like someone's paying to kill this man it's just like he has to go kill this guy for upsetting the order mm-hmm. and then it's just like we'll pick up the gut and he is like, no, I'm not going to do that. Well, then I'm uh, knowing the kind of guy that Harry is. I also imagine he's kind of doing the math in his head where he's like, well, is it OK if I kill Ken because he let Ray go? Because Ken didn't kill a kid and Ken's my friend and he did what he thought was the right thing. Um, but ultimately, you know, Harry does what he does. Um, and then you find and then so later he finds out that Ray is just outside of the tower. Yep. Harry goes to kill him, shoots Ken in the neck, which, by the way, like one of the more the gorier parts of this movie when he just like has that like wound in his neck it kind of gives me the heebie-jeebies 
Um, but then he goes to the tower and we've talked about it before, but he has that scene where he just drops the coins as a warning, like you said, and looks out at this view, this view that he, you know, he loves and he just drops down and it is, it goes from this beautiful view of what I would say is this beautiful fairy tale town to splat. Like literally it, it makes no secret of how just gruesome it is. You see him on the ground and he doesn't die right away. Like, which was so shocking to me, but I was thinking about it and I think, this movie, what it does a lot of the time is kind of, you know, make you think that Bruges is this kind of purgatory. Um, again, there's a lot of religious themes hidden in here. And I think there's some kind of fairy tale, like some kind like basically Ken couldn't die until he spoke to Ray one last time. And then he said, like, I'm going to die now, I think. And this really great little line. Um, but it's just so brutal. It's so gruesome. But like there's there's almost like I, I don't want to say magic to it, but there is like he won't die until he talks to Ray again. It's so it's so beautiful and it, it feels it feels tragic in a way, but you know that Ken has accepted it and it's final. And I love the character of Ken. He's so good. Yeah, and this scene is gorgeous. Yeah, it's great. And also, it's a really good dramatic way to like a get him a gun. Yeah, because like that like you know like. He got like shot in the jugular. He knows he's gonna die, so it's just like I'm not getting down these stairs on my feet. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> no, he's not. Uh, but he does get down. Um, and then, of course, you have the big, you have the big deaths at the end. Um, and we already talked about the fact that you know he ends up killing uh, Jimmy, thinking he's a kid. Um, and then we've talked a lot about how you know it, it, what I like about uh, Harry's death is that it doesn't feel unexpected. Because at that point, you he's established that above all else, he's yeah. got to follow a code. Well, I mean, like you kind of get that like right before when they pause around uh, Maria in the in the hotel. It's like they, you know, they like it's it's like Wayne's World when they're playing hockey and it's just like car, <laughs> all right. Game, that is what it's game like. Game on. <laughs> No, and I, I, I know we talked about it a little bit, maybe didn't linger, but I love that scene in the hotel. So it's so funny and absurd. And by the way, again, to the point of earlier, they kind of expand everyone in little ways. Maria ends up being a really interesting character who I want to know more about. It's not that just that she's like, you know, a hotel owner. She has a lot of pride in her hotel and she doesn't want anyone like, and you know, I, I do believe she cares about Ray, but she really doesn't want to shoot. And she's going to like put her life on the line to avoid this shootout. Um, but back to the ending. So you have that moment where, you know, Harry puts the gun in his mouth and he kills himself. What I also find is interesting is there's a very brief moment where Ray tries to stop him. He's on the ground. He's been yeah, shot. Yeah, Harry just shot him. He, and he's, he's like, just... no. And it's such like, it, it's this almost a similar thing of when Ken decided to uh, stop him from yeah, killing himself. himself. Like there's some, again, it kind of like brings up like if someone's trying to kill him, you like to kill you, you kill him. But if they were, if they're trying to kill themselves, <laughs> do you stop them? Um, but then of course it ends ambiguously. Do you think Ray lived? Yeah. I think so too. Yeah. I think the movie kind of wants you to believe that. I think this whole movie is about, do you get a second chance? And what does that mean? And should you get a second chance? And I think, I think it ends with probably with Ray getting a second chance. Yeah, I think so too. And I, I, I mean, he suffered, he suffered through purgatory, which is like the whole point of Bruges, right? Mm -hmm. So it's like, while his soul is being judged. Oh. Yeah. And I want to believe too, because otherwise it's kind of like Ken's death is in vain. Like yeah. you get the idea that Ken... I, you get the idea that Ken died because, you know, he probably had done enough. But also, he probably traded his life for race. Yeah. Uh, so I, I agree with you. I fully believe 
um, that he that he lived. Uh, we've talked about a lot of scenes. Are there any others that you want to highlight? I think we literally talked about every scene. I think we did. It's not a long movie. No. Uh, it's like, what, like an hour, 45, 47? Um, but let's move on. Let's move on to the movie lists. Yeah. Which, shout out to Clint, because he helped me with this. Um, it is not a lot. It's our comedy thriller pick on the top 10 thrillers of all time. Uh, it was in the thumbnail for that one, too. And it got a mention in top 10 indie movies. And we think that might be it. We, we haven't shown this movie a ton of love on Cinefix. Gotta say. That makes... Uh, I mean, you could throw... I think, like, location as a character would be a good one. Yeah, that's a good... And, I, yeah. And uh, Hitman. That's... I put that on my list. I, I was actually... I looked at... I was shocked that we don't have a Hitman movie uh, list yet. Put it, on, put it on the list of lists. Yeah, that's true. That um, one will do well, too. That would do. There's a lot of good Hitman movie movies uh i don't know if it's my it might be my favorite i do like the john wick series a lot um i would also if we have we don't have a list for, i don't think we do but i think as far as feature debuts i think this is up there for mcdonough there's yeah. a lot of strong feature debuts out there he's only just recently topped it so yeah i'm topped it <laughs> i i liked banshees a lot i'm actually not gonna fight you too hard on banshees because i, I did like it a lot i think i think banshees is just doing stuff like it it seems like a little more sophisticated and it's like conflict between the two, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. Cause what these people are like, like what, what they're, what they're gra- grappling with here is just like very black and white and they're stuck in the middle and, and you're in Banshees, it's very gray. And you know, it's just like, how, how can like one choose to like live their life and like the relationships they choose to have? I hear you. I, don't know if ban- I think I give in Bruges the edge because to me, and this is a very simple thing. I just think in Bruges feels more like fun. Like, and I think it has, I think it has more to say again about humanity. Whereas, and I love what Banshees has to say about friendship. And of course there's the very literal theme of kind of cutting off your nose, despite your face with the fingers and everything. Uh, it just didn't feel as fresh and exciting to me as in Bruges did. Oh man, I was crap. I, I laughed more at it. At Banshees, like Did I was just really yeah. that. I think that says a lot. Right. <laughs> uh, like Banshees cracks me up, and Barry Kehoe just like talk oh, about yeah. talk about a kid that just like came in and like knocked it out of the park. Yeah, he is so funny in that movie. Yeah, and like even the sister is like great, and and she like because like when she when she puts um uh not McDonough. What? Why am I blanking on his name right now? Brendan Gleeson in his place, like. Like, you know, like Brendan Gleeson thinks like, man, like, woe is me. I'm just the smartest guy on this island and no one can relate to me. And then like, she just comes in and just like shuts him down as well as like, why be, just be friends with Podrick, you know? Banshees is also where I've, I came to really like realize that I am such a sucker for McDonough's dark humor. I mean, it's true that that moment where he's throwing, just throwing the fingers at the door. It's like, I should not be laughing, but I'm really laughing very hard. And then like. The donkey chokes and dies. The on do- oh, Jenny. Yeah. Um, there's a lot of... I, I should rewatch Banshees now that I've rewatched In Bruges because there's definitely a lot... Like like In Bruges, everything means something. Everything comes back. Uh, but we're not talking about Banshees. We're talking about In Bruges. Um, the, the bit player award was tough for me. I kind of have to give it to the cashier. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> He's like... A, no, no, no. Actually, I take it back. Murray. I'm going to give it to Murray. Murray. The, the hotel owner. Oh, I'm gonna give it. I'm gonna give it to uh, uh, the boyfriend. Oh, he's good. He's yeah. He, I mean, like 
he's not redeemable in any way. And you want to talk about like someone who doesn't have a code. Like he just like whines and complains and is just like an idiot the entire That's movie. That's true. He's pretty one dimensional. Yeah. I will say. But he's great. Like yeah. that like he play like he plays that guy well. Yeah. And like you have no sympathy for that guy. And it takes a it's hard to do. Yeah, no, that guy sucks. Um <laughs> And he shot the blank into my eye. And now cannot see from this side ever again, the doctors say. Well, to be honest, it sounds like it was all your fault. What? All right, um, are you ready to torf a little bit? Yeah. That's torf. All right. Now, in case you don't know, torf is true or false. I'm gonna, I'm gonna put Cal through a little test, read him some trivia. Some of it will be true, some of it will be outright lies. And play along at home if you want. Or don't. I'm not your mom. Okay. First one. True or false? The word fuck and its derivatives are said 126 times in this 100, oh, there's the runtime, 107 minute film, an average of 1.18 fucks per minute. Yeah, true. That is true. Yeah. Yeah. According to Kids in Mind, which I assume is like <laughs> like some kind of website that tells you if it's appropriate for children, uh, as well as a lav- lavish sprinkling of F-words in Bruges also features a total of 17 terms referencing the hu- human anatomy, 20, uh, 22 scatad- scatatol- poopy terms, uh, eight references to sex, and six less offensive obscenities. I don't know what the less offensive is. I'm assuming it's the R word. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I would say that. Uh, no, they swear a lot in this movie. And it just happens so much that you kind of forget it. But yeah, that it's is part true. of the charm. Yeah, it's part of the charm. So this one is not a torf. Uh, it is a multiple choice, but I'll be out a little bit here. Okay. Uh, and Bruges features how many Harry Potter movie actors? Are you going to give me multiple choice? Four, yeah. five, or six. Okay. Well, I have only ever seen the sixth Harry Potter movie, so. You know, I thought you were going to say that you haven't seen the deleted scenes. That's I, fair. I haven't, I, haven't seen, I haven't seen many Harry, Harry Potter films, you know. I must admit, the sixth one did not make me want to go watch all the others. Mm-hmm. But, yeah. You know, magic right. ain't my jam. So I'm going to guess. I'm going to guess that there was four people in the movie. And then if you're explicitly saying the deleted scenes, then that means that, that someone in the deleted scenes is also in Harry Potter. I don't think they left a lot. Of, they didn't leave too much on the cutting room floor here. So I'm going to say five. You are right. And I'm going to, you are right. It is five. Yeah. I'm going to give a little caveat. Uh, so obviously Ray Fine is Voldemort. Great Voldemort. Uh, Clements Posey is Flor Delacour, which I forgot about, despite seeing all the Harry Potter movies. Uh, Brendan Gleeson is Mad-Eye Moody. Um, Sirian Hines is Aberforth Dumbledore in the Fantastic Beasts series, I believe. Um, and Colin Farrell is Grindelwald. Uh, as, a, as a kind of, like, not quite there mention... I will say that Matt Smith is in a deleted scene in In Bruges, and he was uh, in talks to play Newt's commander in Fantastic Beasts. So, uh, oh, I'm sorry. I'm being corrected. Uh, Sirian Hines is in Deathly Hollows as Aberforth Dumbledore, not Fantastic Beasts. Gosh, what kind of Potterhead am I? But five. But, I, that's all Greek to me. <laughs> You're like, what are you saying? Yeah. <laughs> okay. Uh, so I'm going to go back to Torfin. Okay, let's do it. All right. The screenplay, true or false, the screenplay contains a scene after the shootout revealing, among other things, that Ray survived his wounds and the murdered boy's name is Tobias. I'm going to say true. You're right. Yeah. Because it's a good thing to leave on the cutting room floor, but it's okay to overwrite it. Yeah. 
I find it really interesting that they named the boy after showing him alive, though. Yeah. Like, I, I'm really, I, I would be curious to see how that plays out. Like, are they trying to twist the knife even now that he's gone through his purgatory, as we said? Yeah. Uh, but yes. Uh, and I'm glad they, I'm glad they didn't show that. You, nah, you didn't. You didn't. You didn't need it. No. All right. True or false? Ken is never seen killing anyone on screen, despite his profession as a hitman. True. It's false, but it's kind of mean. He's seen killing himself. No, I don't buy that. <laughs> I said it's kind of mean. He didn't kill himself. He got he he was yeah, fatal. He, he was fatally he jumped off a tower. He could, he, he could survive the neck. No, you can't. I think he could have if he had gotten if he had run to the hospital. With what? Could have. Oh, I'm hold on, hold on, hold on. Okay, so he could have survived if he was squirting blood out of his jugular, and then he was going to raise the tower. He was dropping the He was going to raise his heart rate, which means the blood would have pumped faster as he's running to the hospital with his neck injury. You're, so you're arguing that Ken did not kill himself? No, I am. Uh, that's exactly what I'm arguing. What? Because he was already going to die. I would also argue that maybe he. Well, no, he didn't kill. Him. He would would have let Harry. He was kill already him. He totally killed himself. He was already dead. <laughs> He was, he was literally a dead man falling. All right. Well, uh, I'm going to count it as, as, as false, but we're just going to have to agree to disagree we're, on this one. Th- 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 I disagree. I we, think he could have survived. I leave think he a comment. Survived. Did he kill himself yeah, or was we, he already dead? I would dead? actually really like to see this debate because I, th- I think he killed himself. I don't think so. I think he was already dead. All right. All right. Interesting. Interesting. All right. Moving on. Uh, true or false? McDonough was inspired to write in Bruges after being stood up? False. It's true. Okay. Uh, but a lot of it has to do with the location. Yeah. So GQ asked Martin McDonough if Bruges was always a prospective location for the movie, to which the directors replied, absolutely not. He explained that he stumbled across Belgium, the Belgium capital by pure accident. Uh, he went for a weekend away from London. He was supposed to be meeting a girl there the next day. It was a tentative agreement. From the moment I saw the town, I thought this place was just so cinematic, so gorgeous. Um, he walked around the corner, had a few beers, and although initially mesmerized by the architecture and museums, he admits he soon became bored and just wanted to get drunk. That kind of became two characters in my head, the culture-loving geek and the drunken slut. I've I've heard the... Uh second half of that quote i didn't realize what got him to i i've never seen him describe ray as the drunken slut though and i love that description for that's very good (laughs) he's a drunken slut yes he is (laughs) all right uh you got that one right all right true or false aside from the early flashback ray wears the same outfit throughout the movie true that is true uh though he does remove his jacket and unbutton his shirt he never gets changed. Uh, Ken, by contrast, changes clothes several times. I think that's like an that helps him belt. Like I think talking about the experience to the knot, they had to get out of there after the crime. Ken has done this time and time again. He understands. He understands what going on the lamb is. Mm-hmm. And this is this is uh, Ray's first hit. So he didn't really real like he didn't know he had to pack clothes. Yeah. I will say though, even though he didn't change, uh Ray does like clean himself up a yeah, little but- bit when he goes to kill himself. You like see that he like kind of spruced up his collar a little bit. Um but that's all for Torf. I think you did pretty well aside from the one debate that I'm very surprised about. Um So, I'm really going to struggle with this next part. But I'm going to start with you. In your opinion, who is the MVP? It's a tough one. In my opinion. McDonough. 
I will also go McDonough, but I will do it sadly. Because like I said earlier, I don't believe this movie works without Colin. Yeah, but I, he found them. Exactly. You know, and I think you, you can credit a lot to McDonough for working that out of Colin Farrell. Um, but big shout out to Colin Farrell. Yeah. He just, he, he, he. And, and Brendan Gleeson. Like, oh, they, yeah. they're great, right? Because, like, yeah. it's the chemistry between them that makes both, that makes this. But I also, I also think that that is, like, wholly a thing that kind of comes from a director, right? Like, like, cause they had to do chemistry tests, you know, they had to put all this together and like to have as like complete as a feature debut as this is just like really, really impressive. And then mm-hmm. to continue just like writing and directing your own movies for like the next, like, I don't know what this 2008. So like over, over 15 years mm-hmm. and to not have to take a paycheck film. Yeah. And though, like like we've been saying, it's his feature debut, I think it is so confident because by the time McDonough gets to this movie, he's not a rookie when it comes to writing. As we established, he's an incredibly accomplished playwright. Like, yeah. he knows what he's doing. He's just doing it in a different venue. Yeah, yeah. and like, I mean, we, like I said, I've talked about the camera before, right? Mm-hmm. So, like, that was the thing he was unfamiliar with. Takes a village. He hired people to trust them to do it right, you know? And I'm sure he had some ideas and stuff like that, but, like, you could tell that less thought was put into the camera work as opposed to everything else like performance and chemistry and writing and pacing and plot stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And for as much as this movie doesn't work without Colin Farrell, it does, it does not work without an incredibly tight, smart, funny, poignant script. And that's McDonough. So yeah, we agree. Um, all right. Now, now for you, uh, who is Nicholas Cage? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I don't know if Nick needs to be here. I hate to say. Uh, he could play any of them. He could play Eric, the boy, the ex-boyfriend. Uh, he, That's too small. He could play all three. They're like the, the I be- don't think he could play Ray. Oh, I definitely do. I, I don't think he did. Uh, you should watch a movie called Red Rock West. Yeah, it is a it is a western. Th- it was it's a western noir. And he more or less, he be, he basically plays a, a down and out like um, ex marine that like goes to this town where he is mistaken as a hitman, and then he like he takes the money and then tries to warn the woman that he was supposed to hit that someone put out a hit for him on them, and then like they kind of get into cahoots. Then the actual hitman comes into town, who's played by Dennis Hopper basically just like they're just like we need frank booth get him in here (laughs) and he just plays that and it's like and it's that kind of thing right so he's like stuck in this like rock in a hard place where he's trying to play like where he has to like defend himself and do like morally ambiguous things but he's ultimately like a deep down like sympathetic like sensitive sympathetic character that like does he have the same kind of i would almost say puppy dog quality that colin Farrell has yeah I don't. I just. I really can't picture anyone but Colin Farrell as Ray. Oh. I can't do it. I think he did a great job, but like, I don't think it would be different. But I firmly believe that Nick Cage could do that. Like, late '80s to mid '90s, Nicholas Cage is is Colin Farrell all the way. I would say 2010 to. Two that like or two thousand like two thousand and ten. Nicholas Cage is Brendan Gleeson all the way, and now he's Ralph Fiennes. Yeah, I if I mean if if I really had to pick 
one of those care one of those three characters um i would pick harry uh maybe because i'm thinking of current nick cage less than 80s nick cage um but i i just think all three of them like 80s nick cage is like a heartthrob yeah, like he, I mean, you're not wrong in that he is the pretty boy that Colin was at this but point. But he can do sensitive, is yeah. like what I'm trying to say. Yeah. Like, if you've ever seen, if you like, if you ever get a chance, like, watch Peggy Sue Got Married, mm-hmm. which, if you want to be rude on how you describe it, it's a Back to the Future clone. I don't think that's rude necessarily. It takes away from its, like, actual accomplishment, which is it's a very, very good movie. Mm-hmm. But, like, it's very clearly, like, like, all right, we got to go back in time to like explore our relationships in the fifties. It's like, what else we got? We got this, like Francis Ford Coppola is taking a paycheck to do this. Pe- Peggy Sue got married. He hires his nephew, who takes a real gamble on the performance, and it like really works out. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so if you had to pick one of those characters, it would be Ray. Yeah. All right. Modern Nick Cage rebooting it right now with modern Nick Cage playing. He's he, he or I'm not. I'm sorry. He's not playing Ray. He's playing. Yeah, he, he modern play Nick Cage is playing. You can, yeah. can play Harry. I'll give yep. him that. Although Ray Fiennes is fantastic, um, I think we're getting down down to the end. It's time for the big reveal. Oh my god! And we have the envelope. Uh, so to be clear, this is the not 100. It is not in the top 100. Shamefully, uh, I know where it is on my list. It is, and I'm again embarrassed to say it. It is 87. That is. No, if I could redo my list, I would put it easily in top 50. Maybe it would have been on the list. I might have been, and I'm very angry. Like, uh, Dan, if you're watching this, which I hope you are, if we get the chance to reorder our lists at some point during this experiment, I'm putting in Bruges way higher. It is at least top 50. I, I, Like I said earlier, I think I just didn't really realize how much I love this movie when I was making my list. Um, but I love this movie. Uh, why is it so low? Um, but now I will figure out how my paltry 87 gets it on the not 100. Oh, it says classified. Don't open. I've never held one of these. Um, it is 245. Huh. So that's what 87 on one person's let's get you. That sounds about right. That sounds about right. Yeah. Huh. We'll crack your code soon enough, Dan. Uh, and you mentioned this at the top of the episode, but our next one is going to be another two-hander, and it's going to be... A pick of yours, Jackie Brown, which yes. I'm excited. I, I'm probably going to rewatch that tonight. Uh, really interesting double feature in Bruges and Jackie Brown. Uh, we'll get into it, but uh, although I do like Tarantino, this is my favorite Tarantino. I'm surprised to see it on, on well, it's not on the list in the Not 100, but we're going to be talking Jackie Brown. Wait, Jackie Brown's your favorite Tarantino? No, it's not my favorite. Did I say it was my favorite? I, I, I just heard favorite. No, it's not my favorite. So I think, spoiler, I think Jackie Brown is probably tarantino's movie that aged the best which isn't to say that like it's his best movie it's kind of like how terminator 2 is like the best sequel relative to its like relative to its original like just like the biggest gap you know Uh because terminator is a good movie but like when you compare like amazing sequels like terminator 2 the godfather part 2 empire strikes back like and like star wars and the godfather are like titans in their own right and these sequels manage to like be as good or better but like the terminator is a great is a good is like a a good genre movie that just gets blown out of the water by t2 well don't don't blow too much we'll talk about it on our next episode thank you for coming to the cinefix not 100 i would say and 
we missed Clint, but I had a lot of fun chatting yeah, and chatting in Bruges. Yeah, this was fun. Uh, join us next week. We're talking Jackie Brown. Welcome. You've got the digital folklore. Monsters lurk in the shadowy corners of the internet. Our darkest fears peer back at us from the depths of the web. We can all... <coughs> hey, holy hey, Linda Blair. Are you all right? No. Can we maybe do this a different tone? Hey there, I'm Perry Carpenter. And I'm Mason Amadeus. On our podcast, Digital Folklore, we explore monsters, memes, and everything in between. Looking at our digital expressions through the lens of folklore, we break down the stories and communities we create online. And we try to make it a lot of fun. The show is presented in an audio drama style with a narrative and soundscape that's designed to draw you in. We weave insightful research and expert interviews with humor and storytelling. Come check it out. Search Digital Folklore wherever you get your podcasts.